It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 238, and today we are talking about our favorite nonfiction books of 2019. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Woohoo! Hey! Are you ready to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, indeed. And in fact, I'm so excited to talk about truth and only the truth that I beg to be the person to be on this episode rather than the person who does fiction. Because I was like, I've read a lot more nonfiction this year than fiction. And so I'm ready. That's excellent. I feel like I read almost entirely fiction this year. I'm getting ready to do like a yearly wrap up and I'll see if that's actually true. But I did a bad job reading nonfiction and Yeah, nonfiction this year, (laughs) I think. But what I did read was incredible. I can't wait to start talking about it. But first, we're going to tell you about today's sponsor. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. Okay, so I am going to kick it off and... I thought I'd start with something really fun because I love this book and I don't think it can get enough attention. It is Dreyer's English, An Utterly (laughs) Correct Guide to Clarity and Style by Benjamin Dreyer. He is the vice president, executive managing editor, and copy chief of Random House. That's a lot of responsibility. He's worked there forever. He's so awesome. If you follow him on Twitter, you already know this. If you don't follow Benjamin Dreyer on Twitter, you should. He's so funny and smart. And I'm sure I'm saying all kinds of, like, incorrect things while I'm talking about this book about grammar. But this is the first time I've sat down and read a grammar book from cover to cover. Because it's not like you're, like, looking up, like, oh, how do you do this? Or how do you say this? Or is this the correct way to write this? It's a grammar guide and a style guide. It's like the style guide for the 21st century. It's like what you need. It's so smart and funny. It's very relaxed. He gives you examples of things that he's talking about, but he also makes, like, really funny jokes. He's also incredibly good at pointing out, like, things that need fixing in society and some of our problems by using them as examples in his book. It's really, it's really, really clever. Um, And like I said, I read it cover to cover. It's got adorable little footnotes. 
I love footnotes. I always think of them as like little, like they're so wee and cute. Um, like a, I love like a, a punchline in the footnotes joke, and there are a lot of those. And he's so great. And there's a, a game coming out, like a like a board game or a trivia game or something called Stet, uh, based on this book. It's coming out in July, which sounds really great too. Um, so this is Dreyer's English: An Utterly Correct Guide to Clarity and Style by Benjamin Dreyer. My first pick is the book that I listed as one of the best books at Book Riot this year. So um, some of the listeners might have heard me talk about this in some way, but the book is Trick Mirror, Reflections on Self-Delusion by Gia Tolentino. And um, I'm highlighting it here because I love meaty essays about contemporary culture, and this book is just fantastic. Um, Gia writes from a millennial feminist perspective, and her insights are super sharp. They're really thinky, and they push you as a reader to consider a topic from a really, really wide lens that gets narrower and narrower as the piece um, comes together. The first essay in this collection was my actual entry point into reading it um, based on a friend's recommendation. It's about Twitter and the benefits and drawbacks of what Twitter is, what it can do, and how it has sort of transformed over the years. And I found a lot of thoughts I'd had about the platform really spelled out for me in a smart and sophisticated way. Other essays in the collection dig into things like reality TV. She was uh, on a reality TV show, so she talked a little bit about that, um, about $12 salads that you consume at your work desk, about athleisure, about weddings. Um, it's not like an easy breezy read, but that's why it's so good. This is one that you'll pick up and spend a long time reading it. I think I spent probably four or five months reading this one, just one essay at a time and like really letting it sink in. Um, and I recommend it for people who are looking for that like thinky sort of book. That is Trick Mirror Reflections on Self-Delusion by Gia Tolentino. Okay. Before I tell you about my next book, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor. All right. So... I used to be really good at predicting award winners, <laughs> and I don't know what happened, but the last few years, I have not been very good at it. I wonder if it's because I used to work in a bookstore, and I used to see, like, in real time, like, what was actually leaving the store, mm. as opposed to, like, what everyone was raving about online, or what reviewers mm -hmm. were raving about. Um, I think that might have something to do with it. But this year, I had so many predictions about the National Book Awards, and I was wrong about all of them, except for the nonfiction winner, which is The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom, won the nonfiction award this year. Very excited, because it's so incredible. It is like a bio-slash-memoir. It's about Broom's family. It's about the yellow house that her grandmother purchased in New Orleans many years ago. Um, and it's like a look at like a hundred years of her family. Uh, so when her mother, excuse me, her grandmother bought this house, the area of New Orleans that she purchased it in was sort of like an up and coming neighborhood. Um, NASA had a factory there. The, like the business was booming and they thought it was going to be like this really fantastic area to live in. And instead things went horribly wrong. The factory closed the town, that area of town kind of fell into disrepair, um, and eventually, and this is not a spoiler because it says it right in the description, um, the house is lost in Hurricane Katrina. Uh, but it's a, a story of, like, the community uh, of that town and also, like, a biography of the town as as well as a biography of her family. Um, and also, like, it's about, it's about community. But the thing about this book that amazes me the most is the writing. 
I was reading this and I was like, how is this even real? Like, how are these actual words that she thought to put together? It's so beautiful and incredible. And it's structured in such a way that it just sticks to your brain and, and like, sits there and just, like, pats you on the head. It's so good! Uh, it is The Yellow House and it is by Sarah M. Broom. My next pick is Zoo, Nebraska, The Dismantling of an American Dream by Carson Vaughn. And I picked this one up at the library and haven't stopped thinking about it for months. Um, It's not a true crime story per se, but it really appealed to my interest in nonviolent true crime. Um, There is some animal cruelty in here, so reader beware. Um, This is a really captivating and horrifying and sad story of a zoo that was built in Royal Nebraska, which has a population of 81 people. Um, One guy had a dream, and when his role model for working with um, primates died, and he saw this dream he had sort of being chipped away by his own decisions and the people and the politics in the small town. And it wasn't until years after he left this job that the chimpanzees who were at this at the zoo escaped, um, and they ended up having to be shot and killed. And that's where the story really sort of comes together. It's it's about small midwestern towns, the the good things, the bad things, the quirky things, the politics, and also about this zoo that was really popular in this teeny tiny town in Nebraska um, that introduced kids who lived in the middle of nowhere to all of these animals that they had otherwise never seen. What was most interesting to me, I think, is that I went to college probably four or five hours from from where this is set and where all this stuff went down, and I had heard nothing about this. Like, I would have thought I would have heard a story about this police chase of chimpanzees trying to, like, contain this outbreak from the zoo in this tiny town, but I didn't, and I realized that this all happened at the same time as Hurricane Katrina, and uh, given, like, the context and severity of that, um, it made sense why this story, which was also fairly significant, like, went, like, I heard nothing about it. Every person in this book is super complicated and complex, and what I really loved is that it gets to This idea that every person is really trying to do their best, even if they're failing and harming themselves and other people in the process. Um, And that is Zoo, Nebraska, The Dismantling of an American Dream by Carson Vaughn. Oh, his mentor was Diane Fossey. Oh, Mm -hmm. my goodness. Yeah. What a sad story that is. Yeah. I did not read this book. If it's about animals, I just go right ahead and skip it. I'm sure Mm -hmm. things are wonderful, but I am not. I am a big baby. I'm a huge baby (laughs) about animals. So, uh, you know, I skipped that one. Um, But speaking of animals, (laughs) my next pick is another delightful one. It is, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? (laughs) Big Questions from Tiny Mortals About Death by Caitlin Doty. Uh, You might know Caitlin as the Ask a Mortician on YouTube. She is also now a funeral home owner. And she is so, so Funny. She wrote the memoir Smoke Gets in My Eyes, and then she wrote From Here to Eternity, these great books about death. She's very death positive. She thinks that people should discuss death more in culture, and it would help us learn to deal with it better. And we've sort of gotten away from, you know, looking directly at it and sort of just instead avoiding it. Um, and so this is actually a book. It's questions that she has been asked by children that she's sort of answering for grown-ups because she said that grown-ups don't ask what they're really thinking, but children kind of have no filter. 
But like grownups want to know these things. They ask her like, you know, in private or like on the internet, but like they would never discuss this stuff with her in person. Um, so it's things like, um, can I keep my grandma's skull? And, you know, what would happen if I put popcorn in the, the, when I'm being cremated? Like, what if there was a bag of unpopped kernels when I'm in the like, weird stuff like that? Uh, what happens if you were to die in space? And also, of course, the, the question, will my cat eat my eyeballs? <laughs> Spoiler, yes, but not right away. So don't worry. It's probably not going to happen to you. Um, <laughs> she's re- she answers these questions honestly. She does like the science. Even like when some of the questions are really ridiculous, she does the science and finds out about everything. And she's, like I said, incredibly, incredibly funny. But what really puts the plus on this A-plus book is the illustrations by Diane Roos. They're so great. And I'm excited to talk about this book because I don't think I talked about this on the show. And I just want to mention it. There was a middle grade comic book that came out this this summer. Um, it's a, a series called Science Comics. And this one was about cats. And I loved it so much. It's by Andy Hirsch. It's called Science Comics, Cats, Nature, and Nurture. And basically, it's these adorable illustrations about his, cats' history and the science of cats. And the, you know, the gist of it is like, it, lol forever, it's so cute that you think cats are domesticated. Um, if they were big enough, they would eat you. It's basically <laughs> what, what this book boils down to. It's so great. Um, but Kaylin Doty again, she's hilarious. She's awesome. This is Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Big Questions from Tiny Mortals About Death by Caitlin Doty. So my next pick is Burnout, The Secrets to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And I'll start by saying this begins my series of recommendations that are all great on audio. I'd uh, recommend this one, this particular book to more people than I think any other book I've read this year. Um, And Emily and Amelia the authors are awesome on audio. So this is one to listen to on audio and then maybe also pick up the book so you have it for for reference. But um, I'm a person who doesn't feel burned out. And I can't think of any time where I have felt burnt out um, since I left a job that literally did burn me out. Um, but this is a really good book, whether or not this is an experience you've had. Um, there's no real groundbreaking knowledge in this book. So let me start by saying that. But um, the knowledge that is conveyed here is is given more context than I think we're normally given about it. So, for example, we know exercise is good for us and, and so is rest, but uh, the Nagoskis offer their research and why these things are good. So, for example, exercise is good because it completes the stress cycle. So you have your high emotion, you need a way to release that and exercise releases that. Um, resting then allows our brains to do a ton of work and start start from a much more balanced place than a place of just being completely burned out. I was kind of blown away by the fact that uh, we're supposed to rest 40% of our days, but uh, we don't. And when the Nagoskis explain what that 40% looks like, it's really not that challenging to do. Um, And it's worth noting they're very good at hitting their caveats because a lot of this comes from a place of like, a privileged person who works 40 hours a week and has has free time. Um, they are very clear to say that these situations aren't going to work for all people in, in, in all situations. So I found there's a chapter in there called the Bikini Industrial Complex about how women are choosing to be liberated from body hate. I found it to be so good. And it's not about body love or acceptance, which is something that I find 
challenging. Um, you can't go from one extreme to another without whiplash. And I also just don't think it's realistic. But um, they offer up ways to think about having and operating within a human body that are really, really worthwhile. Um, and as somebody who cares deeply about body stuff, I wasn't surprised to hear the history of some of the medically ingrained uh, biases that they, they brought up. This book is the science behind the claims you hear about self-care, about how to handle your stress. Um, and it was just a great, great listen. Um, I feel like I took a lot away and I found this to be, again, one of those books that I have recommended over and over and over again this year. And that is Burnout, The Secrets to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. That's one of my goals for next year, even though I hate it, is to get more sleep. Because as mm. you know, I sleep two or three hours a night. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to die soon. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's like I, Rebecca assigned me a piece to write about books about uh, getting sleep and uh, the science of sleep and why sleep is good for you. And I was like, OK, I get it. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I understand. Like, yeah, it's terrible not to get any sleep. Um, also, just I'm going to go on little tangents today, apparently. Um, this is barely related to what you were saying about exercise. But I've been watching Elementary, uh, which I mentioned before. And it turns out that all of the episodes, like, some of the stuff they discuss is actual science, like things that happen. And I was watching an episode where um, Sherlock was chewing gum because he was trying to, like, come up with some ideas. And it was like, chewing gum is good for your brain. I was like, what? What is that? And so I looked it up. And it turns out that chewing gum helps you think. It doesn't hmm. help you retain memories. But it, it's like, if you chew gum for, like, 15 minutes before you take a quiz, you're more likely to do better because it's getting everything going in your head. I had no idea. But... um as someone who had my tongue pierced for 25 years and just had it removed, uh, I've been chewing gum like it's going out of style, like I'm making up for all this lost time because it's really hard to chew gum with your tongue pierced. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm helping my brain. I'm just making chewing gum. Anyway, so that's a little something. So if you're having trouble thinking, maybe try chewing some gum. Um, so now for something completely different. Um, I have not heard anyone mention this book all year. And I think I've talked about it twice already. I loved this book. It's Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem, a memoir by Daniel R. Day. And like I said, I just, I loved this book. Uh, Daniel Day is a high-end fashion designer. He has outfitted such celebrities as Salt and Pepper, Diddy, Jay-Z, uh, and he hasn't always been a fashion designer. He started his store in Harlem in the 1980s, but before that, he was a criminal. Um, and this is his amazing story. He grew up a poor in Harlem in the 50s. Um, he talks about how he was kind of like a little, a little brat. You know, he was very wild as a child. Um, his family was very poor. He had a lot of siblings and he was enamored of the, Guys that he saw in his neighborhood who had all the bling, who had all the cash, who were like rolling dice and, you know, um, doing all kinds of things in his neighborhood. He wanted to be like those guys. And by the time he was 18, he was like running gambling rings uh, and he got involved in like drug dealing. But he saw himself as kind of like a Robin Hood. Like he also would help out his neighborhood. Um, but he still, again, was, you know, breaking the law. And in the 1980s, there was a shooting uh, that he witnessed that sort of, like, changed his life. Like, he was like, I cannot continue to go down this path. He had started to, like, do different things in his career, but it it really turned him around. Um, and the thing, like, like Yellow, The Yellow House, I was so blown away by the writing in this book. He is such a compelling storyteller. I would love to read him 
talk about anything. Uh, he was just really, really wonderful. So again, this is called Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem, a memoir by Daniel R. Day. My next pick is Good Talk, a memoir in conversations by Mira Jacob. And I wrote a long piece about this book on Book Riot earlier this year um, and how, because I listened to this one on audio, I didn't even know it was in comic format. And I loved it in audio, and while I haven't revisited it yet in print, I feel confident in saying that uh, you won't have a bad experience if you pick it up in print or you listen to it on audio. So um, this is a story about when Mira's son asks about being mixed race, and it spurs a series of memories for Mira about growing up Indian American and all of the um, micro and macro aggressions she experienced. There are a lot of really cringeworthy moments in the story, and also lots of Moments where you just laugh out loud. Um, these memories that Mira shares are interspersed with the 2016 election and what it was like to explain to a young biracial child what the world looks like and how it may or may not treat him. Um, it's ultimately a book of hope and about how the younger generation in particular is full of this tenacity and drive and will. And uh, hopefully that will help change the course of American politics. And again, I listened to this on audio and it is a memoir in conversation. So um, all the voices in it give it such a wonderful conversational uh, feel. And um, it's about four hours long. So it's a pretty short audiobook as well. And um, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And that was Good Talk, a Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. And alternately, I would recommend also looking at it in print because her <laughs> illustrations are just amazing. This is such a great book. I was like, oh, Kelly picked it. But I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that we're talking about it in general. Mm-hmm. So yay, Mira. Um, my next pick, I did not get to this until after it came out. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to talk about it before, but I'm going to tell you about it now. It is Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Ireland by Patrick Radden Keefe. This book is jaw-dropping. I mean, it is just amazing. It is uh, the history of the Troubles in Ireland and also the IRA based around the story of Jean McConville. She was a mother of 10 who was kidnapped from her home in December of 1972 in full view of all her neighbors, all of her children. Uh, she was taken out of her house and never seen again until 2003, five years after the tentative, like, accord, she, her bones were found. Um, and, like, it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and you kind of, like, you don't hear about the, the, the troubles in Ireland anymore. Thankfully, you know, things are much better. But, you know, we kind of watched it and heard all the news, like, secondhand, you know, being in America, but it is such an intense time in history. Um, and, you know, Jean McConville sort of got in trouble with the IRA because she married a Protestant, she was Catholic, um, and later on there was a British soldier who was shot and dying outside her door, and she comforted him while he was, was injured, and so she was seen as a traitor. Um, and so there are several reasons, like, and, like, you know, she was married to this guy for, you know, 20 years, but, you know, the memory is long, you know. Um, and then there's also the story of a young woman who joined the IRA and like, you know, her father was in the IRA and like how she felt compelled to do that and how times were changing because so many of the young men and older men who were in the IRA had been arrested or killed and they started accepting women. And also because like, it was a time when you could still like hand your guns to your mom when you were going through the checkpoint and they didn't search, you know, women. So 
it, that side of history is incredible. But I mean, it, it's it's so heartbreaking and just intense. You know, there's something called Belfast syndrome, which is an actual syndrome. Like in in the 70s and 80s, there were more tranquilizers being taken in Northern Ireland than all of the United Kingdom because they had something called Belfast syndrome, which is like experiencing PTSD and trauma at the same time because it was you know as the author of the book said like you would go inside to get away from the shooting but there were bombs in the building so like the stress of this was people were just taking tranquilizers you know at record numbers um he does an, an incredible job explaining the situation and the troubles like i feel like i had an idea of what happened and like why people were fighting but not to this extent and he does like a really amazing job um like i said it's a really hard read but i think it's a really important one it's say nothing a true story of murder and memory in ireland by patrick radden keefe my next pick is beeline what spelling bees reveal about generation z's new path to success by shalani shankar and again another great one on audio and shankar performs this one herself and it's for anybody who is obsessed with spelling bees and the next generation of young people which seem like there are two things that don't necessarily go together but they do um and this book is really great at explaining why so on the surface it's a book about spelling bees in america including the most well-known one the script spelling bee and uh the south asian spelling bee that exists beyond the the big scripts um spelling bee and it's about how this brain sport is broadcast on espn how young people prepare for it and how much buzz there is for the kids who are involved in it um but it's a little bit more than that it's an intersectional look at generation z and the incredible lives that they're living um building their human capital at this really astonishing and somewhat terrifying uh, rate. So Shankar is great about highlighting why it is that South Asian American kids have been such a force in spelling bees over the last few years. And she looks at the history of immigration in America and how today's youngest generation comes from immigrant parents who were specifically recruited for their brain power and how um, despite this, they're also experiencing unprecedented and unsurprising racism for these very talents. I I really had a lot to chew on here when it comes to what it means to be young today, uh, the pressure to be and to take advantage and to build this human capital and how these things are crushing Generation Z while also catapulting them to these incredible successes. And um, this is based on a bunch of research that Shankar has done. And when I finished the book, I was like, man, this was really satisfying and fascinating. And I'm ready for her next book now. Like, whatever the topic is, she she just offered so much interesting insight into young people, but also into, like, our obsession with spelling bees. And that is Beeline, What Spelling Bees Reveal About Generation Z's New Path to Success by Shalani Shankar. My friend's daughter is 11, and she won her school's spelling bee yesterday, like, of all nice. the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And I was like, what word did you spell to win? And she's like, poblano. I'm like, I don't even I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Apparently, it's a, it's pepper. a pepper. Yeah. It's a Every, pepper. Well, when you eat, like, potatoes, and <laughs> that's about it, like, you don't know what these things are. I, I was like, I don't know what that is. But it was very exciting for her. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to have, like, little stories, apparently. Like, this real talk with Liberty. Um, so uh, before I start discussing my next book, I do want to give a heads up that it is a discussion of sexual assault. It is Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl by Jeannie Benasco. This is Benasco's memoir about 
uh, when she was raped when she was in college, uh, but it has a sort of different narrative than most memoirs that you read about this. Uh, she interviewed the man who did it many years later. Uh, when she was young, she had a best friend. Uh, she's calling him Mark in the book. And they were very close. They went to college together and just were like best buddies. And then one night at a party when they were in college, she got very drunk and passed out. And he carried her down to the basement and assaulted her and was, you know, she didn't know what to do. Like, what do you do when someone you trust does something like this? When, you know, he was her best friend. She was shocked. She didn't know, like, how to handle it. And she told her friends, but, like, her friends continued to hang out with him. She continued to be invited to places where he also was. And he, you know, like, apologized and told her he was very sorry. And she felt like she accepted his apology. But, you know, many years later, she's like, I don't accept his apology. Like, and she contacted him and asked him if she could talk to him about it. And he said, yes, it's the least I could do. And so it's a fascinating conversation. Um, and like, like I said, it's a different kind of narrative on this sort of situation and gives you an idea of like how, you know, women are, you know, treated after an assault, like how they are made to believe that like, it's not a big deal, you know, like these things happen. Um, and all like the way she like repressed her feelings about this because it was someone that she knew and trusted. Um, it's very hard to read, uh, as you can imagine, but just incredible. Um, it is called Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl by Jeannie Venasco. Um, and my next one kind of fittingly is also one that touches on issues of uh, sexual assault that, uh, you know, reader, reader, be aware of that. And um, I'll talk about that a little bit in the discussion. The book is Out of the Shadows, a memoir by Tamia Nagy and Shannon Maroney. Um, and this one I listened to on audio and I would have otherwise never have even heard of it. Um, I guess it was published in Canada first, but um, it's available in the US and it's a memoir. So at the age of 20, Tamia answered this newspaper ad in her native country in Budapest, uh, Hungary, where she lived. And uh, the ad was looking for a babysitter in Toronto, Canada. And she decided she was going to take the job thinking that the company would be legitimate. And she saw it as this great opportunity to make money and bring it back home to her family where they were struggling to make ends meet. Uh, it wasn't an ad for a babysitting job, though. It was how Tamiya was lured into sex trafficking. And the story follows as she finds herself being really entrapped in this modern form of slavery that often goes completely unseen or um, is is hard to sort of understand. And Tamiya ultimately gets out of it and she decides to become a victim advocate and is able to share her story uh, like this in the book as well as with other people who've been brought into this trade. And it's a really powerful reminder of how easily young people can become caught up in a situation like this through absolutely positively no fault of their own. Um, I, I've heard of sex trafficking and like I'm familiar with what it is, but I never read a book from somebody who had been in it. And I feel like I learned so much more about why it is so hard to to see or understand, um, because even those who are brought into it don't understand how it happened. Um, and that is Out of the Shadows, a memoir by Tamia Nagy and Shannon Maroney. Okay, we somehow managed to list all these books in order. It was completely accidental. But my next book <laughs> uh, also deals a bit 
with assaults. Um, it is Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls, a memoir by T. Kara Madden. Uh, this is just an incredible, unflinchingly honest memoir. Uh, Madden talks about when she was a young girl, she grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. Her mother was uh, the mistress uh, of her father for the first few years of of uh, Madden's life. Um, and eventually her father, who was very, very, very wealthy, um, her father is white. Her mother is Chinese and Hawaiian. Um, her father left his wife and married her mother. And so all of a sudden she had a father at home, which was really great for her. Um, and like I said, he was very wealthy. She grew up, she had ponies. Um, but it, you know, there were a lot of problems that came along with, with her father being there. He had a substance abuse, a problem, substance abuse, a problem, problem. And, um, also was friends with Jordan Belfort, who you might recognize that name. He is the wolf of wall street. So there are going to be some financial white crime problems coming down the road. But Madden was very precocious. I mean, you she lists some of the things that she wrote in her diary when she was young, and you're like, this is the words of like a 45-year-old woman. This is not an eight-year-old girl. I mean, she's so smart. And she wanted to be pretty, and she wanted to be seen. Um, you know, she felt like because she wasn't blonde and she was biracial that she, did, she wasn't as important, and she was trying really hard to be seen um, for herself. And it, it's kind of like about that. Um, and how she grew up, uh, you know, she was, she talks about, like, discovering, like, she was queer and just all kinds of things that she experienced as a young child, which, like, you just want to, it sounds weird, but I felt so protective of her as I was reading this, even though I know, like, this is a long time ago. I was just like, oh, no, this is, you know, I, I felt so, my heart just ached for her. Um, and she's such an incredible writer. I cannot wait to see what she does next. One of the things from this book that still sticks in my mind and I've been thinking about, even though I read it many months ago, is that for a short period of time, like in 1997, Tiger Beat magazine had a section in the back where you could send them your photo and your home address and you could become a pet, like asked to be a pen pal with, with other readers. And she was 10 years old. She sent her photo and her home address oh and they God. printed it in this magazine and it went about as well as you could expect. Oh. Um, and uh, like now, like thinking about that, like kids with, you know, she got thousands of letters and tons of creepy, creepy mail and, you know, guys saying they were going to come to her house. And like, I'm just like, what were they thinking? You know, it oh just, I think about it all the time. I'm just oh. like, bad job, Tiger Beat. Uh, but, you know, thanks for those Rex Smith photos. Anyway, so uh, that is. Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls, a memoir by T. Kara Madden. My next pick is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, a therapist, her therapist in Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. And uh, so I listened to this on audio and Brittany Presley is the performer. And it was this book that sort of sealed the fact that she's one of my favorite audiobook narrators. Um, so this is a book about... Gottlieb's exploration of therapy, both from the side of being a therapist as well as that of being a patient. Um, it's really smart and it's insightful and it's super deeply humane. Um, it's an immersive experience and I really loved hearing about Gottlieb's patients who are obviously all composites, um, so not 
she's not singling out anybody here. Um, and I really appreciated her emphasis on how there's no hierarchy of pain. And I think too often we don't take care of ourselves in our own pain because we try to rank it in comparison with other people's pains. You know, like you had a rough day, but it's not as bad as somebody who has this problem. And this particular book is really good about reminding readers that pain is real and um, deserves to be explored, whether or not it's something huge and tragic or just something that is is, sm is small and bothersome. Um, it's a really fascinating book for anybody who's curious about therapy, uh, whether or not they themselves have it. Um, there's, she, she has this one client that she keeps returning to, and it's this I, I saw him as very much like a New York City businessman kind of guy, and like he's very cold, he doesn't want to be there, but the more and more you get to know his story and the more she's able to like pull out what's going on, like his story is just unbelievably heartbreaking, and I'm not a big like crier at books, but this one got me a little teary, and um, I love too then seeing the opposite side when Gottlieb herself goes and sees a therapist and finds herself like becoming obsessed with learning about her therapist and how she had this moment of like, oh, people do this to me too. Um, it's just really, it's a really fun, um, insightful, and again, like I said, immersive book. And that is, maybe you should talk to someone, a therapist, her therapist, and our lives revealed by Lori Gottlieb. I can't believe that book only came out in April. I feel like I've I been recommending that book for years now. <laughs> it's so good. Um, my last pick is another book that was up for the National Book Award. It is Solitary by Albert Woodfox. This is his story. Uh, in, when he was a young man, he was imprisoned in Angola, a, a famously notorious, horrible prison in Louisiana, and ended up being accused of a crime he did not commit, and it was thrown into a six-by-nine cell for 23 hours a day for over 40 years. Oh. Over 40 years he spent in solitary confinement. And it, it's incredible. Like, I can't even imagine, you know, like, I read um, The Sun Does Still Shine, I think it was called, the one about the gentleman who was on death mm -hmm. row for 27 years for a crime he didn't commit. I mean, he talks about, Woodfox talks about when he was young, he was quite a wild child. Um, his father became very abusive towards their mother, so they uh, left and moved to New Orleans. And in order to make ends meet, his mo his mother uh, became a sex worker. And he now he's like, you know, I my mother did everything that she could to support us. But at the time, you know, he was embarrassed and he was angry at her for doing that. And he became kind of a wild child. He talks about like how. As a young kid, they started, like, a gang, and they were just running around New Orleans, and they were stealing, but, like, he didn't really see it as stealing because lots of times he was taking food, and it was what they needed to survive, so he didn't really see it as stealing. But they were, were there were encounters with the police all the time, and he said it was just kind of, like, accepted that if the police caught you, they would beat you, and they didn't report it to anybody because that's just what they did. And, like, but, like, it's just bananas. Like, some people, like, his gym teacher was also a cop, and, like, he was always, like, it's just wild. And eventually, when he was, like, 18 years old, he ended up in jail in Angola uh, for the first time. For actually, again, for a crime he did not commit. Um, he was with a bunch of kids. He found out that they stole the car that they were riding in. Um, he was in love with one of the girls in the car. He didn't want them to get in trouble, so he said that he stole the car, and he was sentenced to jail. Um, and that was the beginning of, like, his imprisonment and his experience. But so, like he said, he like for like over fifty years, basically, he spent time in jail, and he talks about like 
he's out now. He got out in 2016. And he's like, instead of being mad about what happened to me, I'm going to use my my experience to be like an activist and be positive. And like, it's just incredible to hear someone say those things. Because like, you'd think like, I would be pretty mad, you know, like, at the least. And so he's such an inspiration. Um, You know, he just talks about like, you know, how he survived like being alone in this cell for like 40 years. Um, and it, it, again, the book highlights like how inhumane incarceration is and how it needs to be reformed. You know, for like, first of all, he, they discovered that he did not do what he did, you know, and, and told him, you know, okay, we're going to let you out. And it still took like an incredibly long time for him to get out of jail. Even after that, you know, it's like, how is that possible? Like how, when you say like, okay, you are not guilty of this. You can't just be like, here you go. You know, like, it's just, it's so infuriating. It's a very important book. It is called Solitary. It is by Albert Woodfox. My last pick is Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and The Con Man I Almost Married by Abby Ellis. And I, one, I haven't seen much talk about this book, which is interesting. And two, I was listening to this one, um, right when everything about AJ Finn slash Dan Mallory came out. And I couldn't stop thinking like, as that was unwinding, of course. Um, so Ellen's story begins with being duped by a man that she calls, uh, she calls the commander. He seemed too good to be true. And ultimately he was. So he, he played her as well as numerous other women before her. And that's where the book gets really, really great. So, um, Ellen digs into what makes some people choose to develop these false identities and what it is that makes others believe these false identities. Um, I am a person who's extremely intuitive about other people. I get a feeling and I'm usually almost always right about them. But um, I have thought a lot about people who don't have this radar. And this book really helped me sort of um, understand like, how my thought process about other people differs from from I guess the vast majority of people and um Ellen posits that a lot of this is learned and developed and she goes into how how people fall for it and why some people decide to to try their hand at this whole false identity thing um totally fascinating and engaging it's performed really well in audio and it's one of those books for readers who like true crime without blood um though while it doesn't necessarily dig into a specific crime it does dig into the ideas of criminality of falsehoods and um would be great for those those readers and that is duped double lives false identities and the con man i almost married by abby ellis i really wanted to get to this one when it came out and i did not but i still have it around here somewhere and (laughs) i hope to like read it in my few weeks now that i have of non-required reading yeah so that was fun i feel like we just started talking about we didn't. It's been a while. So we're going to wrap this up. But before we do, what are you going to read next? So I have my audio. Um, I, I'm on the audios this year. I can't talk about what category I'm in, but um, my picks are due at the end of the week by the time listeners are listening to this show. Um, so I'm listening to my last three, and I can't tell you what they are, but I'm listening to three <laughs> adult audiobooks right now. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read the new Tomi Adeyemi's uh, book, Children of Virtue and Vengeance, which is the sequel to Children of Blood and Bone. I feel like 
there was so much excitement about this book, and then they pushed the date, and I, I don't yeah. think that a lot of people realize that it came out on December 3rd, so you mm. can read the second book in this series. The cover is even more outstanding than the first one, which is hard to do, um, but I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so that that's us. Kelly, thanks for talking about true stuff with me. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you to our sponsors. If you want to tell us about the nonfiction that you read, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Kelly is at Hey Kelly Jensen. I am Friends and Comes Alive. If you want to give us a treat, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more of our favorite nonfiction of the year, we just don't have the time, but you can read about some titles that came out today in the show notes. And check it out at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.